Hello and welcome to part two of this Arthur and Merlin Knights of Camelot very special episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. So this is part two of the of our Arthur and Merlin Knights of Camelot masterclass. If you've not listened to part one yet, then go straight there now because on there were some of the actors, including Richard Brake. We had production, we had makeup and costume. But for those who've already listened, thank you very much. So coming up on this part two is more guests from The Making of Arthur and Merlin, which is out now, by the way. You can get it on digital, on DVD or on Sky Movies. Sky Movies. Arthur and Merlin. <laughs> Knights of Camelot. Sky believe in better i don't know if that's the quote but on this episode we have we have the production designer of the film jamie foot who talks to us about how he finds props how he works with the crew and some great ways to be a production designer on a film set and also we have some of our actors including joel fillimore who plays our wonderful baddie modred we also have jennifer matter who plays the witch vortigany and we have our very own Guinevere, Stella Stocker. Then we move into the post side of things with our editor, um, Oliver Parker. And finally, we go on to our producer and post-producer, Jeet Thakra, as we discuss how we delivered the movie. Or, hosted with me, Giles Alderson. I directed Arthur Merlin, if you didn't know. Um, the DLP, uh, Andrew Roger, and producer, Lucinda Thakra. So, I'm just going to jump you straight back in because obviously it was a massive bumper edition, so it kind of jumps in, but you get the gist. So, here is part two of Arthur and Melly Knights of Camelot special edition. If you enjoy this, tell your friends and go to iTunes and give us a lovely review. Why not? This is bumper, this is mega. You won't get this anywhere else. Well, you might, but I haven't heard it. And if you have, it's not going to be as good as this, is it? I don't know, I'm waffling. So, here it is, filmmakers, enjoy. So, coming up next, we've got Stella Stocker, who plays Guinevere. We have Jennifer Matter, who plays Vortigany, and Joel Fillimore, who plays um, um, Joel Fillimore, who plays Modred, coming up. But because a lot of their scenes were in the castle, and we shot in Caerphilly Castle. Andy, I want to talk about what it was like shooting in the castle. For me, it was like a dream come true. I, yeah. I've wanted to make a film set in a castle since I was a kid, and I didn't even want to be a filmmaker back then. But I wanted to run around with a sword. I wanted to do 1066. I, I believed in it so much. I loved castles. It gives me that magical feeling of passion. And now suddenly we're filming in this gorgeous castle. How did it feel for you as a DP to obviously make this thing look beautiful as you did, but also we had to think about where we were putting cameras, how we were doing this with natural light. And mm. we were two floors up most of the time, so we can't even put a light through the window if we wanted to. From your experience here, how did we go about it? I mean, like, first of all, like, what a privilege to shoot in, in castles. I mean, you can't really complain. Yeah. I mean, for, yeah. for all the technical problems, like, you know, th there were things like when it was raining outside, 10 minutes later, it was raining inside because the rain would just track through and come inside. So mm -hmm. keeping the camera dry was a nightmare, but Oscar and uh, Nathan sorted that out. But no, I mean, it was lovely. It was a challenge, um, but, it, but I'm glad that we decided to shoot with 90% natural light you know, whenever we could. We got those big candles, we had that natural light. Um, and just being able to schedule around when we had good light was invaluable. I'm, I don't think it would look as naturalistic or as dramatic if we weren't able to shoot that way. Um, mm. No, I just bloody loved yeah. it. I want to do it again. <laughs> I, yeah, I know what you mean. Let's do it again. It's true. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it now. Yeah. Should we do it tomorrow? 
Yeah. What are we doing? I'm free. Oh, no, I'm busy. Free. I'm busy. All right. All right. Well, that's killed Tuesday me. then. Um, well, <laughs> Tuesday then. Lucy. Yes, Giles. Uh, so from your side of it then, booking somewhere like Philly and for us to film there, because you'd filmed there before, how is that managing in a space like that? How do we actually go about, how do you get a production to run in a working castle where there is real people? And I mean that real people, we are real people, oh, yeah. but so, members of the public walking around. Yeah, what Giles uh, meant there was we, we couldn't close the whole castle off to the public because you just can't do that. You know, it, it's a tourist attraction and they make a lot of money from that. They make and, a lot of yeah, money, yeah, of course yeah, they do. Yeah. I think we were in there for eight days in total. It's ten days maybe. Um, and to lock off that to the public, obviously they Caddy would lose a lot of income. So we had to lock off certain areas of the castle that we're using for a green room, for the catering, for costume, makeup, toilet facilities, everything else. And also for the areas which we were shooting and also the areas which were being dressed for the following scene. Mm. So it was a, a lot of manpower went into that because obviously we can't leave a certain area with props and set dressing and Equipment everything. everything. And camera stuff. So yeah. we have to have a production desist- assistant there at all times and then we would, you know, swap in and out. Um, so it, it is very hard to manage, especially in that vast area. I don't know if any of you know mm-hmm. Caffili Castle. It's absolutely stunning. I absolutely love yeah. filming there, and I would do every movie there if I could. It's even a war film. Even, <laughs> even a space even movie. Even a comedy. Space um, movie. But uh, to manage that <laughs> vast space, is, are you two being sensible? No. No. So to manage that vast space is a nightmare. Yeah. Well, right. It's really, it's difficult to manage all that space, but it's so good. I do remember this because it's a castle and it's a working castle. They have kids go there and for kids, they need entertainment. And at Caffili, they have a big dragon and they have buttons that kids can press and noises can come out of these bits and pieces. <laughs> it's not a real dragon. I just want to point that out. Oh, yes. Just to point out, it's not what? a real dragon. Uh, it would have been, well, I thought it was real. It looked real. And these real. buttons you can press, they go, oh, I'm Mr. Castleman. <laughs> and obviously they just feel like that. Oh, I'm Castleman. These amazing voices. Is that they don't Brian sound Blessed? Like that sound exactly like oh, that. I'm man of castle. I'm Brian Blessed. Um... <laughs> 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 so this was obviously obviously ignore my terrible impressions there but the fact is that you have this when you're trying to shoot a scene and it's a serious scene in the chapel area you're trying to shoot something and you've got candlelight and they're all very moody with each other and they suddenly in the middle of this scene of emotions are going and you might get a tear and suddenly you'd get Oh, I'm the dragon of the castle, <laughs> booming up through the, the stairwells and oh, echoing castle. Sarouche, bless him, our wonderful our, sound our guy. Kept, oh, he's wonderful. It'd just be, it just be like, uh, can we, we might have to go again on that. I was like, but it was great performance. He's <laughs> such like, a patient yeah, man. But... He's so patient, Sarouche. Galumpa. The castle was an amazing shoot at, and mainly our actors who were there were Joel, Jen and Stella. So why don't we chat to them about their experience of this whole movie and being there at the castle? Should we do it? Yeah. All right. Enjoy. Hello, Stella. Hello, Joel. Hello. Hey. How are you? Doing good, thanks. How's it feel, the whole build-up, for you guys to be, you know, lead roles in it and playing Guinevere and Modred respectively? How does that feel, Stella? Um, Really good. It, it sort of, it feels like it's, it's been a while and I sort of have to think about all the things we did because you do forget. But uh, seeing the trailer and some photos, it just, it's, 
it does come back and you remember all the you know the shooting I remember the first day really clearly because you you go on set first time in your costume and then that's it it starts rolling and and the film has started for you so excited really excited about it yeah about Joel yeah really buzzing I'm really excited for it to uh, be out there in the world for people to see. Excited to be a bad guy for once. The two of you were our first day on set for me, Andy, Lucinda. So we were all getting to try and understand that, you know, everyone, the new crew, the new cast, how does it feel to be in a castle, you know, at Caffili, where the light switches, how does a smoke machine work? All these little things that we had to, to sort of come up against. And yet we had you two brilliant professionals just, you know, nailing the scenes and being on it and, you know, we're we're always so worried that first day, aren't we, Andy, of getting a really good shot and getting that first thing moving? Mm. Definitely. How did it feel to be in a castle because playing Guinevere and for me and Andy, we're, we're talking about that anyway is to shoot that. But how did it feel for actors to, you're in a costume, you're in a castle, did that help at all? Massively, massively. I mean, for me, because I've been there for such a long time and I'm a hostage there. So to me, it had to feel like this is this is my home. This is what I see every single day. It just helped so much and that we had so little um, equipment, as in technical equipment. There weren't lights everywhere. It really felt like the space. And to me, that was tremendous. It just, you go in there and it, it's half the work done for you now you just have to accept it and, and roll with it yeah yeah so true we'll just stop there a second jen can we hear you hello hey, can you hear me Jen's here. Hi, but thank you for joining us ah you're welcome what a treat to see you all it is a treat isn't it it's been bloody ages and then, well actually the dare took well Three before years, years but four years four, at, four by the time it comes out in the uk wow so the King Arthur, or Arthur and Merlin, Knights of Camelot, to give it its full title, was, we shot this in October. So technically, that's only, what, seven, eight months? So really, that's a really short turnaround time. And I think, Lucinda, at first, we were putting this out in March. Isn't that correct? Yeah, we had to deliver by January. And then um, we were given a little bit more time just because the, the release had moved. So uh, Charles and I jumped up and down going, yeah. <laughs> it's always nice to have, you know, longer to, to be able to tweak those things that you want to make better. And I know an artist mm. can always go back and, you know, go, oh, I wish that was better. I wish that was. But it, it is good to have the time. and We're really pleased because um, delivering in January really would have been tight. We would have we would have made it and it would have been a great movie. But um, having the extra time was uh, welcomed, wasn't it, Giles? Oh, huge. It made a big difference. And you can you can do it in that time. But then you're suddenly cutting the corners and those that little extra time made us able to watch it again and tweak those little things that we couldn't before and spend more time on the post yeah, the side to really stuff. work yeah, the edit yeah. oh yeah and the grade uh, just just really enhanced the film and um and tweak tweak whatever we needed to in the edit um jen we were just talking about how it felt to be in a castle to be in the costume how a change that would be to you know normally you wouldn't be you'd be in a forest or a field or a house and, and suddenly you're in a castle did that enhance your experience you know of playing Vortigany and this this wonderful character that you did uh, it made such a difference just to be surrounded by that landscape apart from anything else and mm. in the castle which it just it seemed to kind of root you in what your 
just to make you feel like you were grounded in that reality. It made yes. such a difference. And the, Robin did such an amazing job on the costumes that, mm. like, mm-hmm. like the weight of my cloak and everything I was wearing and I had a corset and, and so feeling that kind of constriction as well was amazing. It, I think it all lends to it. Yeah, it does. How did it feel that first day for you when you came on set and saw what we were doing and what was happening? What went through your mind, God. you know, to play a role like this as well in a historical action? It was, I was actually really quite <laughs> scared. <laughs> I was really scared. It, it just feels overwhelming. It did for me. And playing um, a witch where, in a way, I had a lot of liberty to do different things because it wasn't necessarily you know a real person you're necessarily playing i wanted to get the three of you on together because you were my castle you were our castle team you know in terms of you were the 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 wonderful people who just brought that to life for us and we we really loved filming there and therefore you really helped that what tricks now and tips to actors who might be going in to play a role like this whether it's a damsel in distress or a a witch or you know illegitimate son who's tortured and pained by someone who's really playing a bastard what advice now looking back would you give an actor who's to play that role Stella let's start with you finding the historical context is really helpful of clothes how they moved how they spoke I mean that really helps and then I found Um, a lot of strength in acting just off Joel. So use your partner and use what they're giving you. And and to me, it was just incredible because Joel helped me so much by just being amazing at his job and, and I just played off him. So yeah, don't sort of don't be too set on how you're going to play something, but wait until you're in that moment and then take what's given to you that makes it alive and that brings authenticity to it great answer joel are you going to back her up there yeah, i'm going to say what's she talking about <laughs> uh, thank you stella that was very kind of you um no 100 100 being present in the moment trusting in the rapport that you build with your fellow actors trusting in the rapport that you've built with the director and the dop i mean working with people like giles and andy and just having um, the space to go and explore, go and um, kind of really delve into what you believe your character is and then giving you the, the trust and space and faith to deliver that. And then being in the moment with such an astonishing actress like Stella or with Jen, we had some great scenes together as well um, and just thriving off that and, and feeding off that. Yeah, that's great, Jen. I think, I mean, in terms of my character, I would say don't be afraid of making quite strong choices. It's easy to kind of, um, and I mean, I don't know if I made those right choices, but um, I mean, I remember saying once to you in the scene, (laughs) I said, oh, do you think um, she should like squeal like a pig now? And you were like, no. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I mean, not, not the best gem I've brought to the table, probably. Oh, God. Um, but I think don't be afraid to think outside the box. Don't be afraid to kind of make choices about how you're standing, where your weight is, like just those physical things that really can help um, build those sort of characters, I think. Great. 
he was saying it was nice to have the space in the rooms. Obviously, there wasn't a lot of kid around. Um, I guess the other part of this was uh, maybe time was a little tight on some of this. How did you find? It's a question for all of you, really. I guess, I guess maybe start with Jen. But um, how did you find moving so quickly and like get going through the scenes uh, when there's so much to do in so much short time? How did you cope with that? Mm. I quite like that, to be honest. Personally, I I like to do a kind of intense scene and just like rattle through it I normally I think my kind of first instinct to something is probably the, my right one mm-hmm. I think I'm better on my first takes than I am um you know four takes in so I would rather um work like that and it's just the nature of it all the rooms like you say the lighting the smoke everything about it kind of and dodging the weather even in the sure. castle mm-hmm. like we had bits and pieces where you know, you could only shoot within a few minutes because it had just stopped raining or something. Um, so you kind of had to be on the ball, you know. Yeah, uh, Joel, same question. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think working quick and working with energy is it brings so much to it. Um, I think when there's when there's kind of big technical set pieces, I know there was a couple of days that we did in the castle where there were you know pickups across eight nine different characters that were required. All of those reaction shots, all the establishing shots. Like that, that takes time. I remember, I think our our last scene in the castle took a full seven or eight hours, didn't it? Something like that. Yes. And um, the one on the table. Um, and then there's something wonderful about that. There's something wonderful about like really getting into the nitty gritty of how you're going to build that story. And especially, um, you know, watching, watching you and Andy work together to figure out exactly how you're going to build all those characters into that space. But then also, I mean, our last shot together, you and me, Stella, was the one by the pond in the, pissing rain and knowing that we needed to get it done quickly because otherwise everyone was going to get pneumonia and all the hair and makeup would be destroyed and there's mm. something great about that and and you know I, that was a great energy coming out of that scene it's a great scene yeah i've, I've seen it a couple of times now it's um yeah it's really strong it's an interesting it's the only one for you two really that's outside the castle and it was something in the edit that we looked at quite a bit to say should we keep this because where is it in relation to the castle why are they outside but it's such a strong scene that i really want to keep it i was like but it it does something and and plus you've got a really good plot moment in there as well but we could have potentially moved that somewhere else but it, it comes alive doesn't it it's really interesting i love the urgency um it just helped help me I I love the sort of you have to get this done you have to do it you know in this time and and it sort of created a relationship with the camera as well Andrew is where you're in this together and you have to get this now and I just loved it and for me I I'm not much of a rehearser so I like technical rehearsals to know what you're doing and then just go for it because for me that makes it real what have you learned from doing something like Arthur and Merlin that you're taking forward and what tips could you give actors to work with directors? I've learned, I've really learned the value of preparation because, because there were such changeable paces to the different filming days, because there were so many different locations and setups, um, you know, being able to show up and, and work as soon as director shouts action and know that you have done the work that's going to give you the foundation to then go and play with your, with your scene partner from there. Um, so yeah do the work beforehand don't leave it till the night before don't leave it until you're sat in the makeup chair like know who you are know who this character is and know what your boundaries are for that if you're working if you're working with people like Giles and Andy who absolutely know what they're doing listen to them. who are the best yeah, absolutely because and I mean he has to say that I, I know Jen and Stella will back me up here where you know you arrive on set for the first day 
and you're not entirely sure how it's going to go. You're not entirely sure what the look and feel is going to be, all of the different personalities that are there on set. And then such calm, reassuring, assured um, presences as Giles and Andy welcoming you on into the scene, giving very clear, concise instructions um, and being able to see that they're, they're capturing some magic just uh, ride that, ride that, that energy, ride the fact that that you're in the hands of people who know what they're doing. And if and if you get the sense that they don't know what they're doing, don't say anything about it. Just get your head down and do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then say nice things about them on a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's the way forward. Um, yeah, likewise, man. I mean, like the first day was great walking away because I, we'd seen the level of performances you guys were going to give. And, it, and it's the same for us. We're just like, okay, yeah, right, they've got this. Great. Okay, this is going to go well. Yeah, so I'd say that to all actors, come massively prepared and really know your part and be prepared to play as well. Know what you're doing, but also be prepared to play and change it up because then you can give your director so many different options and I think that's vital. Stella, same question to you then, I suppose. Uh, maybe just working with directors, what did you learn from this and working with teams on set, uh, DPs, camera team, uh, production, producers, all that sort of stuff? Trust. I mean, especially the people closest will always be the director and and the camera. So you have to trust them implicitly, even if you don't always understand what's going on. I mean, especially if you're shooting so wildly out of sequence. My favorite direction from you was and will always be um, acted like you mean it. <laughs> that will always be my favorite. <laughs> Brilliant bit of advice. Act it like you mean it, love. Did it work? I mean, did that bit of direction work for you? It totally worked. Right. I, I, I get what it did. Yeah. And then, yeah, trusting the camera. I mean, from from the first moment after I'd worked out that Andy is the cameraman, I wasn't sure at the beginning. <laughs> Who did you think he was? That's a guy who was holding the camera all the time. So weird. He's just wandering around. Holding the camera. He was like, we weren't introduced as such. So I was like, okay, this yeah. this must yeah. be. I the don't DOP. talk to actors. Yeah, it's not, it's not my thing. <laughs> Big time. But once that was established and, and that trust is there, I just enjoyed working with Andy so much. It's, oh, it was just great. And what was lovely as well is you got on the camera as well at one point. You were so close yeah. to the camera team. Yeah. And what was amazing about you, Stella, is you turned up when you didn't need to as well. You loved the camaraderie on set. It's even in the rain, you'd be like, no, no, I'm here. And I was like, no, but it's raining, Stella. I need you tomorrow. I don't want you to get <laughs> ill. And you were like, but I really like it. I want to yeah. stay and watch. And you even got on the camera at one point. Yeah, and Andrew was yeah, showing you how to do it. There you did, yeah. Of, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. I learned, a lot. I learned a lot. I have such admiration for the camera department. I just love it. And it's That's always so amazing cool. to learn something. And then eventually, because um, Joel, uh, Tim, uh, Lancelot and Arthur, we all lived together. So eventually I just didn't want to stay behind. I just wanted to be there on set with them and, you know, for moral support and everything. Yeah, it just really felt like a family. It did. There was actually a scene because you were around a lot and it was great. And I loved having you around as well. I really enjoyed that. Is there was I, I put you in two extra scenes yeah. that you weren't going to be in. One uh, in the Lady of the Lake scene and another when you appear in, in I can't remember what it was in the forest. But anyway, we, we rewrote stuff because it really worked and enhanced the film by, we went, well, actually, if we have Guinevere here in Arthur's mind because he is going a bit crazy, what's true, what's not? 
it worked really well. And you were like, no, I'll do it. And you were like, I'll get in the water as well if you want. I'm like, no, 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 I, no, I definitely don't want you to do that. <laughs> it's freezing cold water. But the fact you were trooper and so up for that, for me as a director was amazing because I just went, well, Stella's fantastic because if I ask her to do something that she'll just do it and it will work for the scene. And obviously it's only enhancing the scene. So that's what I appreciate from actors is them going above and beyond and saying, look, what do you need me to do? Obviously within reason. And obviously I'll bring my own voice to it. But yeah, that, that really helps. So well done. Well done, you. And you are fantastic as Guinevere. Um, Jen, what about yourself? Um, then the same question. If you can remember it, Andy might actually have to say it again. It was about half an hour ago. <laughs> Jen, why do you love the camera department so much? <laughs> I wonder why you asked this question. <laughs> yeah. What was the question? More about Andy, please. No, no, more about Andy. We're done. What I was thinking when everyone was talking was, I think what I when I'm on set, I do think I have to be careful to list, to not listen to my negative thoughts. I'm sure this isn't the same for everyone, but um, where you could become insecure in what you're doing or your mind suddenly wander going, oh, maybe that last take wasn't actually, I shouldn't have done that. Or I, And it's important just to stay totally, just listen to the good voices in your head <laughs> um, in terms of for yourself. And like like the others have said, I mean, it was such a, dream cast and crew to work with and production everyone was so it was such a joy to work with everyone um you felt supported and that's all you can hope for in something like that you know but it's really important to feel that support and I absolutely did it was amazing mm. great great so are you are either of you two going to take anything forward to your next film um how you like to work or how something you learn on the job anything at all nothing at all no, i learned I mean, not to I take know, anything I, forward. I mean i don't know where to begin really um i think every character you do and especially for me as the witch and that kind of like i was saying like the kind of um non-human sense of her potentially um i did as much research as I could and watched as many things as I could to give me kind of inspiration for it and or, or what to do or what not to do. Um, and that was useful. I mean, and uh, I don't know, just lovely little bits and pieces. You learn from new people you work with, you know, different actors who prepare in a totally different way to you who might not have got their lines backwards, but are more spontaneous because of it. And you kind of mm. go, okay, that works. <laughs> or, was, you know, they're not dead set on the same rhythm. They say something. They mix it up a bit. It's learning all sorts of things from everyone in cast and crew. You know, it's lovely. Yeah, that's amazing. Do you know what was great about uh, you? And, and to be honest with most of the cast, I know, is that you listened. So, and you were so... Uh, receptive to any direction I gave you you were sort of like oh okay yeah and and you'd use that straight away in your performances and that was just wonderful for me to watch and see how you'd take that on board and then bring it into what that scene was and yeah that that was wonderful I advise any actors to do that is really listen to what's been said and there's a reason for it you know hopefully that's such a joy though because you do work with directors who won't give you anything and you kind of get stuck in a groove of doing something that you thought you might do but you don't get so to have that specific direction is a real treat so run with it yeah totally 
also what you said, uh, learning from other actors. I mean, I learned from Richard Short to always give 100%. Richard was, sometimes I sort of test the waters a bit in the first take to see where I can go with this. And Richard would, he would just be, bam, in there. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is brilliant. Because you can always take it down a notch, but it's more difficult mm. to take it up. And yeah, he, he was such a consummate professional. It was incredible to watch. Yeah. And you can only learn from that, oh. right? Everyone, and I think that was great for the Knights to see that as well and sort of go, oh, he's delivering there from the off. Yeah. Okay, right. We all need to get up there. Yeah. And that was great because there was no half-arsing from anyone from that moment on. It was just, it was just great. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Um, this has been a pleasure. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Bless really you. Nice. Thank yeah. you, my loves. Thanks, thanks, guys. Nice to see you again. See you in a pub at some point in 2021. <laughs> sequel, mate, for the sequel. <laughs> Bring back Modred. Modred was right. <laughs> <laughs> Big love. So, right, Cheers, Joel. See you soon. Bye. 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 Incredible there. Thank you so much, Stella, Jen, and Joel. They're amazing. Uh, that was really cool. Thank you. So, Moving on to production design on a film like this, uh, we've got Jamie Foote coming up, who was our production designer, which is so cool to get a production designer talking about how they do that. But Andy, I wanted to talk with you first, before we got there, about shooting uh, a movie like this in a forest. Yeah. Because again, we're using natural light. Again, we're shooting in places that aren't necessarily easy to get to by foot. You know, waterfalls and 25 minute hikes. We've got caves, you know, that you have to go down steep slopes and, you know, shoot with horses, all this kind of stuff that goes on with the film like this your experience of shooting in a forest with a camera with a small team uh, talk us through that a little bit yeah i mean obviously you're very challenging um i mean the major thing obviously there's there's all the obvious stuff like rain and tripping over stuff and you know just safety and but like everyone was cool so we were able to be really mindful of that but um the the major thing that the that was was hard was obviously we we, we didn't want to get generators and bring in a whole circus to light the forest up because we were going for a very naturalistic look in the rest of the movie where we were using daylight and the interiors, um, it meant that if we did a, a night exterior, we couldn't do day for night, which is where you would shoot in the sun and then grade it to make it look like nighttime. Because that's a very stylistic look. Um, it's a very different style to shooting with natural light for real inside. So you so, so suddenly get this mismatch of styles. So it meant if we shot at night, it had to actually be at night. Um, which is very difficult if you're in a forest and there aren't any light sources, the moon isn't bright enough. So we had to use real fire um, and we had a couple of little light panels um, and smaller LED units that we used then. Um, but but mainly it's all motivated by real, like by the fire, which I think has given it a real nice quality. Um, but, you know, there's, there's things, things like fire torches will go out over a long take, so you have to stop and relight them and and that's that's something jamie was was involved with so yeah um i'm sure he'll talk yeah. about all that yeah absolutely the whole team just got stuck in there and it was really nice uh with jamie's team they'll be you know with the smoke machine they'll bring in the flaming torches uh, and bringing props in and all that sort of stuff and giving the swords to the knights everything like that had to be managed and looked after and it's really interesting on a film like this when there's so much when you think oh there's not that much but you add up all the props and all the things it there's loads there's loads to think about and do and it's a, it's a, it's a very often underappreciated job, and it's a very difficult job. Uh, people don't talk about it enough in filmmaking, and it's, it's, it's wonderful. Do you remember Jamie running around with his top off during that night? Yep. Burned yeah. into my retinas. That wasn't that <laughs> so wasn't just for fun. 
There was a scene between Lancelot and, and Guinevere in the forest and we'd lit it with torches. It was at night and it looked amazing. And it was a, it was a moment where we suddenly jumped a day later for a reveal. And this had to look magical. It had to look a magical forest. And we needed a lot of torches, a lot of candles, a lot of production design. And these torches, like Andy said, go out a lot. And the only way to light them at one point was, was with old rags. And Jamie got a load of old rags. And eventually these rags were running out. So he started ripping his T-shirt and lighting it. We were like, wow, that's amazing. And then between each take, he'd rip another bit of his T-shirt and light it. And then another bit and another bit. And eventually he had a crop top on. And before we knew it, he just had a necklace of a T-shirt. <laughs> we're like if we don't get this now he's going to be literally naked it was incredible it was an incredible achievement that deserves an oscar in itself our production designer goes above and beyond for the production totally agree so let's get to him let's get to the man himself welcome to the filmmakers podcast jamie foot enjoy our chat with him Perfect. Jamie, it's amazing to have you join us on the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, yeah. It's great seeing you guys again. It really is. It doesn't seem that long ago that we were all manically running around trying to make castles look good and forests look good. Um, And it must be really interesting for you because, you know, you've worked on some big movies, you know, Hobbs and Shaw and Spectre and all sorts of departments from props to set directing and all sorts of stuff. What did you learn from doing Arthur and Merlin? What was it for you that was, you know, really interesting? And why did you want to get involved? Um, well, I wanted to get involved just because I love, I love doing the job that I do. Um, and, and King Arthur is a story that everyone, everyone's sort of grown up with since, since a child. And it's, it's like, well, being given the opportunity, I sort of jumped at it. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and yeah, that's, that's really it. It's, it was just sort of a love for, making things uh making things up or just just making things happen and making it look good and the script was amazing yeah 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 Yeah. so how do you go about it when you get the script talking about that then what do you look for what do you think oh okay well i've got to do that i've got to get that what is it that you set out to do what's the first thing you do so uh, the first thing i do is i'll I'll obviously sit and read through the script at first just to see how how i think it is um Sorry, I've got a really loud helicopter going by for some reason. <laughs> um, and, and then I'll read through it again and break it down uh, into its scenes and then look at the specific items that that are there. Um, having a, sort of a, 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 a fondness for historical stuff anyway myself, mm. I already have an idea of, of what there's going to be in backgrounds and what I need for whether it be floor decoration or wall decoration or, or just, just general gumph, um, horrible word, but it's just that, that, that generic, um, stuff to be, to be thrown around and make things look appealing. Because you have mm. empty spaces, um, especially in the castles, you know, the, the bedroom scenes and, um, the grand ball scenes and the wedding scenes, uh, you know, this all had to be dressed, you know, obviously yeah. period specific, um, which is, you know, it's a lot of props and obviously the candles and the lighting, which obviously helps the camera department. Um, where did you source all your props from? So uh, at first I looked in, uh, in London, uh, the prop stores, major prop stores in London to see if, if they were available to, to hire out. But um, during the, the time constraints, they weren't. So I used uh, Google Foo and some, some very helpful members of our team based down in Cardiff, pointed us to um, a Cardiff-based company who've just started out fresh. They've got tons and tons of props. They didn't even have 
anything categorized um they were that new like everything was just piled on top of each other in this these huge hangars in a in an in an airport disused airport outside outside cardiff and it was essentially i was like a kid in a candy store being able to pick what i wanted um and and with them being so fresh and new they were just like look just just climb over things get get in there pick out what you want and they were just really really helpful really generous and that was from um dresd prop hire in cardiff right jamie yeah d-r-e-s-d prop hire and i'd recommend them like at any time to to anyone um that's great because you that that first day for example you had to make the uh which was guinevere's bedroom if you like yeah look you know really interesting we always talked uh, and myself and andy and yourself said we want it to kind of look sparse because they wouldn't have that much anyway but we also didn't want it to look empty there's a difference between sparse and empty i suppose and you built this amazing bed i've actually just put a photo up on instagram of how cool it looks and some of the crew working in that space and uh you know you you delivered what was a really lovely bed with designs on it and little sort of cutouts and extra little touches to some places where the candles could go as well understanding the light in front of the fireplace and uh, and we did discuss for quite a while when we were walking around the, the, the set, the castle beforehand, where stuff should go. So after you've spoken to a director like that, what, what's your next step? What do you do? Do you then go, right, okay, well, he or she wants this to that. So, and then you source it to fit that. And do you also think of your own stuff as well? What's the best no, way no, to I do think, it? No, no, I think, think of your own stuff as well, because um, everyone does have their own vision, um, which, is, which is unique to them and everything else. And you don't want to ruins other people's vision by going no no that's not right um we'll just put that there and that so you kind of have to play with it a bit and when you put things in place you go that doesn't look right if we if we have that up against the wall it's gonna it's gonna sort of lose uh, a depth to this um it's gonna make it look very flat so you've got to shift things around and and just generally um give things like a verticality it's difficult to kind of explain but for me it's easier to um put things where they are yeah and then start moving them around because then when you move them around you get a better picture and you and it, and it starts to break down um i've never one never been one to sort of draw things on paper beforehand because i can never imagine something and then sketch it out because obviously you've done um, you as a uh, a part of the production design team on many big uh, films that Giles had mentioned earlier, you've done World War Two. We actually did a World War Two movie together last year, and you've done obviously King Arthur and many different historical action pieces. Because yeah. obviously you've studied this um, and and you know exactly what prop is is right for which specific genre. When you have a director that says, "Well, I would like this," have you ever? You know, had to say we. Well, it doesn't actually work within that genre, so I'm going to suggest something yeah, yeah. else. So it's, and it's it's suggesting something else, but also giving giving those options and being like, options. instead of instead of um, saying no, that's a rubbish idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, just say that's that's cool, but I've got this, this, and this, which would also look cool. So it's it's trying to provide more options for them to go. Oh, actually, yeah, that one a might not look cool. B looks all right. C looks really good. Um, yes. So it's like um, what a, a friend of mine taught me is, is is making sets with more options than directors can can have a 
Like they're, they're, there's almost too much choice where mm. if they go, right, well, what if I want to film in that corner? Okay, there's a little table there with a, a box on it. Yeah, and... Especially someone like me who will just do that last minute and go, I want to film in that corner <laughs> yeah. now. Fill it with yeah, Never yeah. give too many <laughs> options to a director. <laughs> no, please give more. Please. No, no, no. That, that's. I think that's a great thing. If you if you give more options, then no, they <laughs> in a in a, in a small space. Yes. So if yeah. if it's a six foot by six foot room, and you decorate three corners of that room, so that there's more, there's a lot more visual items that they can go. Oh, actually, I can do a close up on mm-hmm. uh, this cup of tea. Or I can do a view out the window, or or whatever. Um, it's it's providing so many options that the director doesn't even think about anything else, and they go, oh, that, and then that, and then that, and then that, and and then Absolutely. you're done. I love that because it was various times when I went, I, I the camera's looking at, I need something to fit in that, and you went, well, there's this option or this option. I'm oh, brilliant. I'll take that option, and I love yeah. that when someone gives me options. There's nothing worse when they go, well, I've got this, and I go, ah, anything else? They go, no. So it's so good, and I agree with you, Jamie, to have those options because yeah. for me as a director and for Andy as well, you're sort of going, well, great, thank you. That looks better. The light will look nicely on that. That's too shiny, whatever it is. Yeah. To have those options is really important, really important. You had a great team as well. Let's talk about, you know, you had James, um, Rona and Matt were your main sort of people you had yeah. with you. How do you work with the team then? What's your process to have people working for you within that world? So I, I make sure that the, the team that I work with, I, I know really well. And and that then I can trust those people to have vision and have the same um, sort of mindset where I can say to them, okay, I want this room. This this room's going to be uh, a bedroom. Um, it's going to be the main feature. These are the props. If I leave you with this, then I'll come back. Mm-hmm. And I and and it's those people that I can trust because they're people that. My team are always people that I've known for a long time. So it's about thinking outside the box, I suppose, isn't it? It's, it's about... always about thinking outside the box. Yeah. And, and and I always try and pick people that think outside the box. Because if if you just, art department, especially the big features, it's very stringent. It's, this is our design. It, it's, this is what's built. Um, and then it gets made to that spec. And essentially, it's almost like a factory line where you, you, you don't really get much play with um what you might think looks good because there's there's a designer who's got his idea and then that's it that's moved down to the people that are making it whereas on small smaller features you've got more leeway to think outside the box and you've got um sort of oh i know if i if i tape uh this carpet to a wall it it will look like a tapestry or which we did something. and it did so yeah it <laughs> yeah yeah well. so yeah what you're saying the difference between the big budget uh pictures and and um indie features is you're allowed more freedom yeah how do you how would you work with a, a dp obviously i know because we've worked together but for everyone yeah. else you know what's what's your relationship like with dps how would you sort of go about setting the the color palette and the look and that kind of stuff what kind of conversations would you have gojects the same with like like working with a director you're just providing more options so and and then also making suggestions like well actually i don't think the light's quite good here but the, if we put a, a white sheet or everything it will brighten up a bit or it's it's yeah it's again we've, we've all 
even even if it's the director of the DOP or even the costume department um, or anyone else, mm. it's suggesting more ideas that give more options for everyone to to work with. Yeah, it's all about working together. You're right. It's about having that communication, collaboration, yeah. working together as a team. I love it. Um, and and Jamie, finally, before we let you go, uh, is uh, just any advice uh, for up and coming props department or art department or art directors that you could give from your experience? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's just to go with the flow and like let things let things flow naturally, but also give yourself more options. Never be too scared to uh, like overbuy props because um, you could you could go around a prop store and buy three wooden buckets or, or whatever and and then having those options available and having more means there's less stress on you to to provide a um a scene or or anything like that it's 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 all about almost overburdening yourself with props and colors and 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 everything else and don't be afraid to use think outside the box and use local knowledge mm. so wherever you are filming um, use the local uh, builders' trades, um, plumbers' trades, anything else, because sometimes you can make things out of a bit of pipe and some black spray, and yeah. and because all it will be is a shadow in in the back of the shot, um, which will look like a sword hill, but it doesn't. It's not going to be that much in focus, so it doesn't mm. need to See, be. See, that's the talent yes. of a production designer. Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you don't exactly. need to spend exorbitant amounts of money on on things to to make something look good um, if it's just generic faff in the back. <laughs> I love it, uh, Jamie Foot. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, guys. It was lovely speaking to you all. That was the fantastic Jamie Foot there chatting to us all about production design and art direction of a movie like Arthur and Merlin. Uh, so yeah, I hope you learned something from that. Our next guest will be moving into post, but before we get there, just wanted to touch on the sort of final bits of filming for you and what we sort of learned and went through during that time. I mean, like... <sighs> It was it was a very compressed schedule, but it just felt good because sometimes when you're shooting with not a huge amount of time, um, you have to make compromises and you have to you sometimes walk away without being 100% happy with everything. But honestly, getting to the end of the shoot, it's just really proud of it. I, I think I think the team pulled together so hard and, and pushed so hard to get everything done and to get everything to the standard that it it should be. It really elevated it, and it's um mm. it's a really nice consistent good film and it's just a, like just being able to shoot those performances for me as a dp that's such a privilege just working with richard and um and stella and and, and joel and all those lot just just who just giving it 100 percent and and just only thinking about the film that it was great it was i really enjoyed it. it was tough it was tough getting rained on it was you know cold and wet and and long hours but oh my god was it worth it it was yeah I was going to ask a question, actually, uh, or more open it to a, a discussion about, you know, we, we're talking about the trials and tribulations being in the rain and sometimes horses don't always do what you ask them to do. Um, neither, <laughs> neither do actors, actually, sometimes. But <laughs> no, I'm only joking. But one or producers. A, one or a, oh, producers. <laughs> um, wow. Wow. It's got that late now. Yeah. So uh, there was one quite high-stress moment for me, just the one. Um, and that was on the last day. So the opening of the movie is Lancelot and King Arthur riding across uh, the shore and they're racing uh, on horseback. And on horses. And yeah. we had, we 
started off the day in location one, then we had lunch and moved to location two in the afternoon. And obviously when you do a unit move, it, these these times are scheduled in throughout the day and, and you only have a certain amount of time to get from one space to another because you only have a limited time in each location. Now, it's okay if you can say to the location, oh, do you mind if we have a little extra half an hour or hour because we've run late from the first location? A lot of them will give you some leeway. But on this particular afternoon, we couldn't actually ask the tide to stay out later for us because we couldn't. <laughs> the it's tide, a tide. It's a tide. <laughs> so Water does its thing. Obviously, that was quite you know stressful for for us as a team because we had certain amount of shots we needed to get done. We had to look after the health and safety of the animals as well as our actors. We had quad bikes. We had all sorts of things going on, and it's the opening of the film. This has to be spectacular. It has to tick the boxes for the audience members, and. You know, wow. I mean, you got it, guys. Well done. But I remember yeah, but I, it being stressful. Everyone by that point is, is, is stressful and everyone's so tired because it's the last day and everyone's got that hype thing. Oh, we're finishing. But actually, the last day was really tough mm. and we wouldn't have scheduled it that way unless Tim and Richard had to cut their beards because the idea was it was eight years before. So they had to look younger. But we couldn't have scheduled that any other way than put it at the end. But therefore, it meant we had these really big scenes in the cave with the witch coming and the monster horseback and racing across the the sands and the sea and uh, it, it was a lot to shoot and everyone is right at the end of what they've got left to give and it was really tough it was and it was amazing but the whole experience was incredible i think we'll come back to that as our wrap up and talk about our final thoughts on the movie but i wanted to talk about post because we're now moving into post and we've got oliver parker our wonderful editor who also edited the dare by the way in case oh, you didn't no, know here we go. and um oh, um and it was really great to bring him onto this project but post is a wonderful time for a it's a scary and horrible time but also a wonderful time because then you can see a movie coming together and the same for you andy i suppose in some way you've just got a load of shots in your head and a load of things on a drive somewhere and until they're put together it's just a load of shots and you don't know if it's going to work or piece together and how the the scenes from one scene to the next will work and I'm always thinking about that when I shoot. How does how does Guinevere, we're in the castle, how do we now suddenly go to the forest outside? What's your connecting shot? And I think that's so important. People forget about that and they just go, oh, we'll go close up to close up. No, no, you can't do that. You need your connecting shots. So I'm always thinking about that. So it's so nice and you usually never shoot those in order to see it in the edit. Um, so shall we talk about the edit? Shall we go and chat with Oliver Parker, our editor? Yeah, great, great. Well, it's the first time I've met him because we're obviously doing this podcast on on Zoom and Skype. And Squadcast. Which is amazing, isn't it? The first time you meet your editor of this movie is on Skype while doing this podcast. See, the podcast is useful for something. All right, this is our <laughs> chat with Oliver Parker and us. Have fun. Um, it's a delight to have Oliver Parker join us on the podcast. Hello, mate. How are you? Very well, thanks. Thanks very much for having me on. It's uh, very nice to be here. <laughs> I love it. That was like a, a proper chat show, wasn't it? There you go. It's very professional of you, Oliver. This is a proper chat show. This is, <laughs> this is a proper chat show. Yeah. <laughs> Someone said that once. Um, but it's nice because I've talked about you on this podcast a lot, Ollie. Those people who know uh, or have who are long fans of this podcast and listened a lot know that Oliver Parker's name's been mentioned because not only did you edit the debt, but we got you on to do Knights of Camelot amazingly well, Arthur and Merlin as well. So um what was it like when you I asked you to do it? <laughs> did you go, Oh my god, no, not him again. Uh knowing that Andy was involved as well, he knew you were gonna get um 
amazing images. Minimal um, footage. Minimal, minimal footage. <laughs> no, it was very exciting to be asked to come on board. Obviously, having worked with you both and knowing that, yes, even a limited t- amount of time on a shoot, you know we're going to get really nice-looking rushes and nice coverage and interesting coverage and clever coverage. Um, and that's exactly what we got on this one. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I mean, Andy will be over the moon with that clever <laughs> footage. This is like, this podcast is just like... We're just all just, yeah, each so other. nice things about us all the time. It's embarrassing. <laughs> People daren't say ill because they know we'll come down. We're, we're so like powerful. Chris Nolan. Yeah. You sat down? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, let's talk about editing a movie then in terms of how you go about it, what you do when you get the rushes. Because you just off um, off air then, you talked about when you first came on set on the first day to talk through with our uh, lovely uh, assembly editor, Alan about what you wanted the process to be. In terms of you as an editor, what's the process of getting rushes? How do you put them in? What do you think about when you first start, you know, um, editing? Um, I mean, for me, the, the, that first day is, is always really important, especially as I wasn't able to be on the shoot and to kind of cover the, the, the assembly stage. And I wasn't there to be on set. So um, for me, it was super important to make sure that Alan, who was... Um, sort of doing assisting and, and, and sinking rushes and putting the project together was was at least working in a, in a way that I knew was going to benefit the actual cut. And, and, and luckily, you know, we, we worked out a workflow that I'm very familiar with. I like to be fairly meticulous about how the projects are set out and how the rushes are um, divided up. And, and yeah, just it. the more time we spend at the top being organised, the less time we're looking and hunting for stuff later down the cut. That's great advice. What's the best way to do that then? Like you say, is it, you, you like to work in Premiere? Um, yeah, I work in Avid or Premiere either. Or, I mean, they're, they're both very similar in terms of how you might set them up. Um, it's, you know, especially with this when it was just me and you through the cut and we delivered the, the conform picture at the end. We didn't, there was no sort of additional support. So knowing that, wanted to minimize the amount of time I had to spend doing the conform and all those bits at the end. So we just sort of set it up in a way that made sure that that was limited and all our time was spent refining the cut and working on the edit. What do you feel is a, a sort of a good way to do that? Because you've made loads of things as a director as well as shot stuff. But as an editor, you've made quite a few feature films. What is What do you feel is the best process for directors out there and for DPs to, to be delivering footage to you? What What's the thing that really you've learned over time? Oh, that You should really do this way or is there not a specific way? No, I mean, really, I mean, it's more to do with how it's put together um, when it arrives at, with a DIT or assistant and it's how it's yeah. dealt with from that point on. And it's, it, there, are, there are many ways that you can structure, structure your workflow. How, there are many ways you can, different ways you can sync rushes and they all have a, an implication on how you then deal with the footage at a later date. The, the, one of the nice, one of the, I think the great things at the minute is being able to get LUTs from the DP on set so that when you've got your rushes, you can apply that when you create all your proxies, you can apply a lot that's been designed by the DOP for that particular scene or that look. And you off the bounce, you have a look that's right for the picture rather than just applying generic looks. You know, the closer you can get to how you envisage that scene looking earlier on, the better, really. It just really helps inform choices. When you work so close 
with people. And this is really interesting. You do. For that time, you'd spend, you're in each other's pockets constantly. Me and Andy lived together when we did King Arthur and we're in the same hotel when we did uh, The Dare. And me and Ollie spent all the time in the edit suite together. So you're spending, you know, at least six weeks in prep and then six weeks in the edit with uh, Ollie. So you, you're together. So you do have that bond. And I think it's really important that with your, uh, if you're a director, with your DP and your editor, you have that. Because otherwise, you could be fighting against each other. And I think you don't want that to happen. What's the best way to avoid that, Ollie? Do you think in your mind? What, because if a director does say, nah, I don't want it that way or this way, what, what can you do to, to stop that? I mean, I, the, that's always, that's always the hard thing that the working relationship is the most important thing. And, you know, ultimately I'm there to serve the director's vision. That is, you know, that's my job. And, and I think, mm you've got to build that working relationship. So there's a level of trust between both sides. So that, you know, if I, you know, if I feel that one way isn't working, that there's the sort of the freedom to go off and explore another route or another way, but there's always, you know, you're always coming back to that, that final vision, you know, it's got to serve the story and it's got to serve the director's vision. And that's sort of, that that's the kind of the top of the tree really. And, and everything you try is to help push that in that direction. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. No, Andy, you got a question there? You're just going to go, yeah, man. <laughs> the thing is, right? No, I mean... I've got a question. Oh, wait, wait, wait <laughs> I've got one too. <laughs> okay. Um, I was just going to say, I mean, like, I, I could jump in and be like, well, the thing is, I just completely agree with what Ali say. I'm just like, yeah, that's... And that's probably why we all work together really well, because we do have that same idea about, you know, the story is the most important mm-hmm. thing and we need to show the performances and, you know, the director's in charge of the ship and we're just really there as long as the trust is there between us, we'll all trust each other to to suggest things. Well, let's talk about working with uh, directors for you then, Ollie, when you receive stuff, because there's a lot of directors who listen to this podcast. And I think working with editors is really important. What, what challenges do you have sometimes? Or what, what, what's your process? What do you like to do that you can get across your vision? Um, because yeah. what I love that you did for me is you constantly came up with new ideas or new themes or new way to get around a scene that might have a problem where you didn't have enough coverage. You'd go, well, we could do this, we could do this. And I loved it because you were also creating, you were yeah. coming up with stuff. What advice, like say, to work with directors could you give or what's really useful for other editors out there? Well, it's a tricky one because each project is completely unique in that sense, um, and it's just the process of working through and 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 refining each in each stage. You know, the, the early stages is just knowing your material, making good notes, and understanding where you might have a variation in performance, or you might, you know, you went and shot loads of stuff that wasn't scripted when you were ha- went and had time, and you had these like cool shots of Modred sneaky th- having a look through a window, and you know, this stuff on the moors, um, yes. which ended up being really useful in the cut. Um, you know, we were able to kind of make quite dynamic sequences and scenes that suddenly meant something new and different. And so it's really understanding, yeah, understanding material and having the freedom to, um, to have, to experiment and to, to play around with. And a lot of that stuff just, you know, there's not, there's no one quick way for it to work, but it's, it's everything you do has got to serve the story. Um, and that's your sort of the key, the, the baseline is, is what that character saying there necessary. And if it isn't, does it mean more without them saying that line is, or do you play it off a reaction? Is it more important that you're seeing the reaction to that scene? Um, so it's just, it's 
decision making that serves the story and that that's sort of the, and how do you the, choose that then how do you choose when to stay on a close-up or go to a reaction in your mind when you're because you did a lot of work and then i'd come and have a look at what you've done if you see what i mean and then yeah. we tweak together and play but what is it that makes you choose to do it that way is it just your own sort of vision and, and i think imagination yeah. i think it's, it's a little bit of a little bit of both i think you find the point in the scene that that scene is about and it, it might it might not be a line it might be a line it might be a reaction and you sort of work out at what angle that the, the important part of that scene plays best on uh where you get the kind of that the sense that of an emotional beat or whatever it is and then you sort of work back from there and you work work out how do i get to that moment how do i give that moment it's sort of maximum gravitas in the scene um and you sort of plot your way through that way um <clears throat> does a scene you know do you play a scene out on a single shot do you you slowly work your way into something and then contrast that with a series of quick cuts you know there's there's loads of different ways to to try and accentuate that moment but it's yeah it's it's just plotting a way work understanding how this how that process and how that system works for the story there was one really lovely moment where i think you called me up and you said uh i just wanted to see something um because I think there's something missing. And I said, what do you mean? And you said, well, I, I know how you would shoot this. I know how you and Andy would shoot this. And it feels like there's something missing. And you showed me. I went, yeah, yeah, there's no there's no two-shot coming across and being the wide. And it was so nice because then we had to find it in the rushes somewhere. It was just yeah. mislabeled. But the fact you knew me well enough and Andy well enough that we would yeah. have done yeah. that, you'd have gone, well, how Giles shoots and likes to set up shots is yeah. this, this, and he probably would have done this. And because it wasn't there, you went, Oh, well, there must be something missing. And I loved it. You <laughs> called me up and went, yeah, yeah, we'd shot that for sure. And you found it and we it put just, it in. And it was like, that was great. Yeah, these shots occasionally, they just slip through the net. And, you know, yeah. you know they must be there. Um, and, and invariably, invariably they are yes. just somewhere. <laughs> and they somewhere. Get this out. reiterates the fact that a couple of our actors um, were talking about trust, building the relationships and working with people that you trust Obviously, as Giles, trust yourself, Ollie, and, and you trust the way Andy and, and Giles would get all the correct shots to make sure the, the story makes sense. It really, it really kind of proves, especially what the actors had said previous on the um, podcast. So that's great to hear. Yeah. And, it's, and it also, and I think that that's one thing from my perspective is that, um, you know, we have the... Um, the benefit of being able to see the rushes in the confines of the frame and not have any of the knowledge of how it's got on screen. And I think that's one thing as an editor, you've just got to be sensitive and, and have an, an appreciation of what it takes to get that shot on screen with all, with, with everything from script stage to pre-production and all of the kind of the blood, sweat and tears that, that happen to get that on screen. And yeah, that's, that's sort of a big thing just to sort of understand. And the brutality yeah. of it as well, because there was, I think a few times on the dare and, and certainly on Arthur, is that you just go, oh, I don't think we should do this scene. Or we, let's not, this scene doesn't push the story along. Let's just either take it out or move it to another stage. And I'd be like, oh, but that day was horrendous yeah. and it was so hard. And, <laughs> and the performance is amazing, but actually it doesn't serve the story. Yeah. And like I say, me, Andy and Lucinda were there in the trenches understanding it. And you go, well, I don't care. It's irrelevant. <laughs> and that's what's lovely about having an editor who just goes, well, I'm seeing the story. Yeah. Right. I mean, that must be something you look at. And we did we did a lot of repositioning of scenes um, in the early in the early first twenty minutes, um, you know, the, with the intercutting backwards and forwards from Modra to Arthur, and actually all the way cut all the way through the cut, it worked nicely with the intercut. Um, and then towards the end of the cut, we d we just decided to 
put the Arthur scenes together a little bit more at the, the start and put the Modger scenes together and just let them play out a bit. And suddenly, it worked, while it worked before, suddenly now you were seeing that you had more of an appreciation of Arthur's state of mind and you sat with him for a bit longer. You then saw the kind of the evil menace in Modred and you saw the build of that work. And then the intercut starts working in a much more natural place when the tension and the pace starts ramping up through that, those sequences. So that's, yeah, all these little things um, really can have such a dramatic effect on how the story gets told. Yeah. Yeah. We changed so much. That was really interesting. Yeah. I'd, I'd forgotten about that, that how it was in the script and just to move those things around yeah. when you're watching it in the edit it makes such a difference. Yeah. It really does. It worked the other way around, but this is a yeah. better way of telling the story. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how you can constantly still be working on a movie up yeah. until that literally as you deliver, you're still yeah. doing final tweaks. I remember we restructured a few scenes when, um, I don't know how spoilery this should be or not. Uh, you say it and I always cut it out. Okay, cool. So the, the, the scenes where, um, so I remember moving the scenes where um, Modred finds the locket. Um, and actually we, we repositioned that to then motivate his capture, the capture of Lancelot, whereas beforehand yes. that was never scripted that way. And, it, you know, it's just nice connecting those dots that weren't necessarily connected beforehand um, mm. and just kind of helping to push push those story beats along, really. Yeah. Totally. And trying to make those scenes work. It was really interesting, wasn't it? Yeah. When you go, right, well, you could cut from that to then suddenly outside, but hang on, what, what was their thought process before that? How do these characters still yeah. make sense if you move all the scenes around? And But it does. And we did it on the day massively. I yeah. mean, we chopped, changed, cut, yeah. moved the whole thing around constantly. And that was and tricky because yeah, you, you had different periods of time. So there's even, you know those when you move mm. when you move one thing everything else changes down the timeline so yeah. yes um any bits of advice for editors out there uh or up-and-coming filmmakers who edit their own stuff of what you've learned along the way yeah I mean, for me the main thing is being super super organized on the outset um and it will just it will just make things much much easier to to um to work through um the deeper you get into the cut um I think for me, I, I really like working with sound. Sound for me is a super important thing from early on in the cut. Um, I think we did a lot of sound work. And the more, the more I can get my ideas and our ideas into the, into the cut and transfer through to the sound department, the more, the more they have to go on. You know, it just sort of takes out that, that initial having to then check all that stuff through with the sound department. So we did, we did work on the, the Excalibur scene, I don't know if you remember, we did loads of sound design on that Excalibur scene because mm-hmm. actually with all the production sound, it just didn't have the right atmosphere. So we refolded all the footsteps through the water. We put in new um, waterfall sounds. We put in breathing sounds. And so we could really balance or balance the design of that scene out and, and give it the, the sort of the impact it needed, which is just kind of a weird and spooky kind of yes. feel. So, yeah. It made a huge difference, didn't it? Because I was ending up voicing stuff, you'd voice stuff and breathing and footsteps. And <laughs> suddenly, I think actually a few of them are still in the movie. I think quite a lot of them because they worked, you know, <laughs> okay. just does a lot doing it. But it did. Yeah. And I remember because I, you've got that lovely relationship with the cast as well. I could ring them up or text yeah. them and say, listen, would you do a few breaths down the phone for me? I'm missing a gap. And there's nothing worse when you're sending it to your exec producers or producers with, to Lucinda and G and they, it jars you when there's yeah. a jump and there's no sound. So we'd just put something in. I remember voicing load of the characters. Yeah. There was just, I think at one point there was my voice in an early trailer, <laughs> you know, because Americans didn't notice it's, but I think 
Yeah, I think the, the the fact you've got the ability to do that and constantly thinking outside the box is so important. Agreed. Definitely. Definitely. Obviously, action is quite a big part of this film. How did you go about editing the, all the action that we shot together into a coherent thing? <laughs> that was, I think, that was one of the things that I was most concerned about in terms of knowing how much time you guys had to shoot on set. And I think you, the main hall stuff was what was it? Two days, I think, in the end, something like that. Yeah, three, three in total. But I think we had one day for the main big battle at the end. So yes, and that, everything was in one day reading the kind of the number of sort of setups you had throughout the script and, 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 you know, there was a slight nervousness as to how that was going to transfer into, in terms of coverage. But actually what um, was great is that start with the performances are brilliant. Um, but also when you, when you start slotting each of the indiv- individual sequences together, they, they started really singing, but actually when you start intercutting those sequences and we, I mean, you spent loads of time with this Giles, didn't we? we had each sequence cut and then working out when to come in and out of each sequence to feel like the battle was still going on in the background. Um, mm-hmm. And that was kind of the hardest part of it. And that was the, the, the bit that made it feel kind of brutal and, and like it was a big event is that yes. is where to come in and out. And can you start using the same shot, but from another angle um, and just mm-hmm. reusing shots and working your way through the, the hall. It's amazing how what, you know, you work miracles and it's amazing how it can come across, you know, something I go, Oh God, we didn't get a shot of moderate at, you know, at the end sort of leaving. And you were like, well, we've got it in a wide and, We've got away with it. No one's mentioned it. No one notices. But yeah. yet for me, I'm going, there's no shot of Modred leaving, but no, no one minds. And I think it's things like that that as filmmakers we can get bogged down in, but no yeah. one else really notices as long as the story is being told, as long as you've got your main people there doing the main things they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. yeah totally get away with it. Totally get for away sure. with it. As long as for it's sure. not too big. Ollie, you're a star. I'm sure we'll be uh, working on another movie soon together. <laughs> I'm sure. Good. Look forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for now, though, thanks, buddy. Nice one. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye, Ollie. Nice to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) So there we have it. That was Oliver Parker. Uh, He's the wonderful editor of Knights of Camelot. Do give him some love on Twitter because editors often get overlooked. So give him some love. He worked miracles with me. We didn't talk about that enough. But honestly, it was a joy to work with him. Someone who understands your vision, but also is really clever and thinks outside the box and that's what oliver brought to it i'd highly recommend working with him if you can if you can afford him if he wants to work with you so finally our final guest we're going on to now lucinda would you like to introduce the final guest because you're probably closer to him than most people. oh how funny of course i am yes so um for those of you that don't know um i run film production company picture perfect along with my husband jeet thakra and um we started together in 2015 and it's now 2020 and we have made over nine full-length feature films, Woo-hoo. Uh, which has been hard work, um, but great. <laughs> and, um, you know, we, we've, we've got a great relationship um, as business partners um, and, it, yeah, it just, it just works because we bring different things to the team and it's, it's really nice to, to work with your husband and, and somebody I respect as well. Um, so, yeah, let's have a chat with uh, my gorgeous husband and my producing partner, Mr. Jeet Takra. So, uh, Jeet, are you there? Hello. I'm here. I'm here. Hello, everyone. Hello. 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 It's really weird on, saying listen. hello to my husband. Yes, who is literally upstairs. Who is literally upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm upstairs in the studio, guys. I'm doing a, uh, a conversion of the Arthur film as we speak for our virtual screening. 
amazing. Oh, wow. That's and so cool. And it's um, and it's maxing out my CPU on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I imagine it is. <laughs> which means it's going to look really nice, which is really Absolutely. cool. I love Absolutely. that. Um, how Obviously, we want to get into the, the post side and actually how you deliver a film between Lucinda and Jean, how you do it. But first of all, I wanted to ask you about how you work together as a husband and wife team, because you're both producers. You both produce this movie as well as Robin Hood, The Rebellion and the Hooligan movies and so many other feature films i thought it'd be really interesting for people to know the process of a uh, husband and wife team working together who are both producers i couldn't think of a better way to work you know someone someone's got your back someone can feel free to criticize you um it's all about you know working towards betterment in in a, c- a career choice or in, in in life in general so um so yeah it's super productive and and for the time being it's working really well for the time being <laughs> Oh wait! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wait uh-oh, domestic uh, happening. You pulled me up. Yeah, okay, okay. Because it's all about story, right? It's all about getting the best film it can be. So you two will do whatever you can to make that happen, uh, and that's very evident. You know that comes across well. Mm. Is there anything you've learned to help filmmakers out there, producers out there, that over the time of what works? Well, and again, that's a huge question because you could answer that in so many different ways on so many different departments. But in terms of what makes a good producer and what makes a good team, uh, production team, what would you say that was, Jeet? Um, I think a, a, a massive asset you can have um, when working within sort of uh, coming from a producing capacity is, is to be a great listener. Um, at the end of the day, you may have your fingers in several pies. If you're working in sort of the independent scene, you may have to be mm. um, helping the camera department. You may have to be helping somebody do some catering. You may have to be holding a boom one day, whatever it may be. Um, from a, a producing point of view, it's great to be a member of the team. Um, a lot of the time, producers have this kind of stigma about a, a, you know someone you can't approach or somebody who's holding purse strings and things like that. But if you give time to listen to people and work with people as a member of the team and, and, you know, show them that you're a member of the team, then I I think, um, I think that's an invaluable asset. You want to be approachable as well. Don't you, you know, as producers, we want to be approachable. Um, and we want people to know that, that we, we will go in the trenches with the team as well. We're not producers Mm -hmm. that, you know, will sit behind, um, video village and, and and not get involved we we want to be in there with everybody and make sure um that we can help you at any hurdle that you come across and i think you know with that you know the team will, will give you respect because you're on everyone's side yeah well let's jump straight into then delivering a movie like this and you two have delivered movies in the past uh and what was the difference with something like Arthur and Merlin? And what's a post strategy? What can people expect? What can f- filmmakers expect? Because no one really talks about this side of delivering a movie. From your side, G, what should people expect? Um, so to start with what you asked first. So the difference with Arthur compared to what we've, what we've had to deal with before, um, it, was a, it was a much bigger post-production team and a closer kind of scenario um to a, a higher budget film um so a fuller mm. uh, team of people working so you know one of the examples i always give is my background in post-production sound um in sort of the independent world you tend to have a sound designer and then maybe a foley editor um and the sound designer will take on a lot of the track lay probably the mix 
um, and maybe have a few elements from an FX editor or, or a Foley editor, which is a, a great help because those are specific roles, um, you know, on their own. Um, so, yeah, it's usually one person doing what a team of people should be doing. Um, and it's always important to remember right. that because that, that, that plays its own part in sticking to a very tight schedule. It's, it was an absolute pleasure to have a fuller team um, working. It was a pleasure mm. to have um, an onset editor. Um, that was a totally you know, that, yeah. It was. It almost felt like a luxury, whereas really it's a convention. We, I mean, it's it's if you're making films following the the rules, it's something that you really need to be having on set, so you can you have rushes, not just rushes, but but edited scenes to look back at. So after yeah. so after someone like Ollie Ollie Parker who edited this delivers the movie to you, what's the process then for you? Will you then send that to the sound mix? I, I'm obviously we work together, I know, but it's really good to tell our audience what the process is so that they know yeah. when does it go to the grader, for instance, when does it go to the VFX team? Yeah, of course. So f- f- obviously, Ollie had uh, taken the material from the assembly editor, um, so there you know there is some structure there already. Ollie then passes that on to the sound department. Now that could happen and it should really happen at an early stage. Mm. Uh, once upon a time, people used to send reels, you know, through to the sound, to, to the composer, to the sound editor. Obviously that would work when you've got time for, for that type of workload to sort of, uh, to, to happen. Um, you'd have plates being sent to VFX, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so people are working together at the same time. Um, and, talking while they are working um you know so ideas are being passed along the chain everywhere um and everyone's on the same page so with arthur ollie had been talking to um dave aston who was the the sound designer um Mm -hmm. track track layer and mixer um and Mm. and obviously you'd had several conversations with him uh, about style um Mm -hmm. and ollie ollie delivered what's known as an uh, what was known as an omf which is a snapshot of the edit timeline that's then imported into the audio timeline and whoever's dealing with the audio will will then continue with that and while that's yes. happening they should be talking to the composer so working sending temp files to each other obviously the composer very important to be working with the editor and yourself um mm-hmm. you know throwing throwing you some some ideas and some temp tracks and things so so you know we're we're building that picture of the film um at every uh, every stage um and then vfx same kind of thing you know we learnt this time around because we've not really had to deal with vfx in, with our previous films maybe cleaning shots so mm, cle- removing a bit or taking out a drain pipe or whatever or absolutely a dog or you know or yeah. there's lucinda the producer hanging around <laughs> in the background just a really- <laughs> coffee cup producer that likes to be on set i do apologize yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, wrong side of the good. camera but obviously yeah, yeah so yeah. we've we've had to deal with we've had to deal with cleaning um and this time we were building castles you know we were we, we were mm. building uh, effects for merlin and and um and obviously the input had come from andy yourself and oliver and the earlier that process can start the better. I, I spoke to Reese uh, Sanders, who who took on the role. Um, yes, Reese was very clear about trying to get as much material from the editor as as early as possible, so he could, you know, start working with his team, start building, and sending back to Giles, and you know, getting some yes. feedback. 
um, jars because you, yeah. you you don't you want a specific type of castle or you want the you know absolutely you want some objectivity as well. Of course you do, and it's difficult for a VFX team to build because we're still editing. And we had a deadline for this movie, and we hit it, and we brilliantly did that. It was great mm. on time and on budget. But I think what uh, at the VFX team we're doing, we're sending an edit but then me and ollie would look at it again and go ah we want to change that that doesn't help the vfx team because they've already started to layer it up so you've mm. got to have those conversations really early that these almost edit those bits first that you know are going to have vfx in so you can get Absolutely. the vfx team working so you've Absolutely. edited it in the right way so if things do change hopefully a vfx team won't mind too much i mean i i would so you've got to really be on top of that but yeah, yeah. it's it's really just knowing and talking to your team right Absolutely, and something I've something else I've I've learnt from the Arthur process is, um, you know, let's open the VFX conversations at a very early stage. You know, at an mm-hmm. early stage, that person might might request some illustration, some you know, some concept art, um, which would obviously be a collaboration yes. between yourself and an artist, and that way you've got some decent ideas because Giles wants a particular type of castle, um, but you don't want the VFX mm-hmm. artists delivering the disney castle for example yeah you know, so. so true so yeah we i mean from the early early off i was getting color palettes and i was talking with andy about that and i was talking with costume about that and i was talking with vfx about that everyone was on the same vision and yes. i made the vision pack and we made the you know the mood reel to look so people knew the style and the look and then it's about playing with that and obviously people want to put their own impressions on that and put their own tone and their own feel to it as long as it's within that world and i love that um and at the same time the composer is starting to do bits and pieces right and we had the fantastic nick samuel doing stuff it was such a delight to have him and then you know we were working up to the last minute to get bits because things change you know edits change and then suddenly you've got to change the score and it's really difficult um so in the case of delivery process then you're we know we've got a deadline but we've got to hit that so you're waiting to see stuff how what processes use the producers both of you are you staying on top of during that time um, so yes, there is a post-production schedule in place, um, and we try to mm-hmm. stick to that as, as closely as we can. Um, and there are review points during that process. So the film is delivered, then there might be a break of a week or a weekend, depending on how much we, how much time we physically have, um, where the, the, you know, the, the people who've been sitting creatively in front of a screen can take a step back, take a breather. Others who are involved closely in the process can uh, can take a look at the um, you know the film as it stands um and give some feedback um and it's again uh, you know it's a bit of a broken record scenario at the moment but it's about talking to each other it's about talking about something somebody may not have spotted if they're sitting 9 hours a day in front of the screen mm-hmm. you know and um, communication you're right yeah absolutely and and that goes to that goes from performances all the way through to a you know a bit of guttering that needs removing or whatever it might be it's a whole amazing process, isn't it? Filmmaking. Sure. It, it just the whole understanding of what goes into making a film is huge. There's so much you can't explain that in a few lines. You don't. Well, I develop an idea, and then we start thinking about color palette and all. That. It's massive. Yeah, let alone sure. talking about money and talking about unless how you actually... you're in it, you don't understand the process. But also, it's all well and good being able to talk. Me being able to talk about it, but to do the the process justice, you need a panel, which is why this is yes. what you're doing is so great. Because you're speaking to everybody and they can give you their expertise and their individual experience, um, which won't be the same as my individual experience or expertise. It's a daunting process delivering a film, Giles, as you know. 
It's a daunting process making a film. Yeah, it's just yeah. the whole thing's daunting, <laughs> daunting. and think, scary. And then, yeah. and then you get to giving it out to the world. I mean, obviously, I'm jumping forward a little bit, but suddenly you're yes. releasing the movie, and anyone who's from any country in the world can just go, "That was a piece of crap." And write that online and kill you with something. And it doesn't matter how much hard work and effort you put in. And you don't think about the great reviews. You don't. You, those ones are all just like, well, they must be a friend of someone. Yeah. But it's, it's funny, isn't it? All the effort that goes into it and people just dismiss it. You know, it's high stress fascinating. from development all the way through to delivery and release. It, it really is. Yeah. But, it's, but we, all, we talk about this. It's, it's a difficult process. It's high stress. But it's actually, it's positive stress as well. You know, because of the enjoyment mm. that, and the love and the passion that we have, you know, for what we do as individuals, but also for the project that we've all signed up to. Yes. Um, so yeah. I, I do. I, I feel it, it's positive stress. Um, maybe not all the time. Uh, maybe ninety nine percent. But we love it. That's the thing. We love it. it. And that's Jess, what it comes down Jess to. Jess and yeah. Stu talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I also want to say for 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 filmmakers who are listening, uh, you know. One of the one of the major things about post production is um, is is workflow. You know, one of the most important things is is a very clear, defined workflow. Um, I, I think at any end of any, at any tier of this industry, um, people who are involved in post production will tell you that you know a, a a solid workflow will mean a smooth delivery. And if if there is even if there's one thing that needs to be ironed out, it really should be to make sure that everybody is on the same page because people are delivering, you know, files that are half completed um, and labeling those files. And sometimes there might be a folder full of 50 files that are all labeled differently, dated differently. And, you know, everybody will have a version of that um, and everybody needs to be on the same page. So workflow is so important um, just to make sure as, as on, on set syncing is, for example, you know, making sure mm. that, that, that um, you know, that picture and audio is, is um, syncing correctly. Because we had to finish this movie in lockdown as well, you know, right at the end, we had to be sending files backwards and forwards when we couldn't see each other. So I couldn't sit in the grade with Dan Moran. I couldn't sit in uh, Nick's composing room. I think the, the one of the last days I did was with Nick. And then after that, he had to deliver without. And that was really interesting for us to deliver a movie in lockdown as well, to do those final bits and deliver on time in lockdown was was really interesting. Mm. Can I ask a question about colour? Sure. So obviously, obviously, Giles and yourself had a, a, a very clear idea, which Lucinda and I were, were that conversation we were party to all, all the way along uh, along the process. Mm, of course, yeah. Um, and and you achieved that. In, in my opinion, it was uh, you know you far exceeded what I thought was going to happen. Um, what oh, I was lovely. going to see, and, to and, and, yeah, you know, and and those those early mood boards, Giles, they were. I, I was looking at those, going, "Wow, you know, if we can achieve that, then of course we can." It, mm. it, you know, in in gloomy mm. Wales, that, that shouldn't be too difficult. But you know, you know what I mean. It's, it, there are challenges along the way. But when you got to the stage of of speaking um, and working with Dan, how much mm. alteration needed to made from the raw footage? Um, how, how much were you able to play in camera? Um, and and what did you need to do to achieve some of the mood, the look uh, uh, through that through that colouring process with Dan? Yeah, I mean uh, the the ideal thing is you. I mean, Giles will test this as well. The more you can do in camera, the more mm-hmm. real something is going to be, and the more natural it will look. So we we did a lot of stuff in in camera um, with the lens choice and the filtration and just things like um, like the the, the 
the color balance and things in the camera. So, so we had a lookup table in the camera, which is like a, well, you'll know this, but for some of the audience members, it's, um, it's a, a series of alterations, contrast and tone and, and saturation you put onto the, the footage. So when you send it away to the, to the edit, there'll be kind of a, a fairly bland raw image out the camera. And then these series of alterations that you can put on top of it, that, that makes it into the image you intended. And it means you can do a kind of a grade on the, on set, that, that goes out and, and then that continues all the way through to the colorist. But then if you've gone a little far on set or if things aren't quite far enough, you can, um, you can give the, the colorist an idea of what you want from doing that, but they, you haven't taken away any of those choices from them. Um, so, so yeah, we sort of gave Dan the, the lookup table and then he was able to work with that, but he could build on it and be more subtle with it and, and, and also bring some of his own aesthetic into it as well, which I think always makes things better, right? You know, the, the, the more talented people you can get cooking something, the totally. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it it that sounds like it's a you know it's a it's a process where you've 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 kind of got two, you've, you've almost got a bonus there. You've you you you've yeah. got the skill um, of of the colorist, but you've also got um, him finessing things that you've yeah. created on mm. on set in camera. Um, so, so yeah, and, the, and this things you know it's a specialized job. There's things that a colorist will understand that I won't. Um, and they'll say, yeah, but I can do this or I can lift this. And you just, and suddenly the image will pop and you go, great. Yeah. There was something wrong with that image that I didn't see, but they, they know exactly what it is because they're so used to yes. looking at it. Yes. I'm laughing. It's really so, so valuable. I'm laughing because Jeet has now turned into the host. Yeah. Sorry. It's come on about me. Oh no. Sorry. 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 I'm happy. It's, but it's yeah. awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. It's, really, it's, it's awesome. Really, it's four hours boring. into this now. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah please ask questions. Go for it. <laughs> And actually, it's what? quite nice. Obviously, Jeet and I talk about this all the time, but it's quite nice um, to hear us talking with, with the team about this because it's Jeet and I, you know, in a box, if you like, or in the house, in the bubble, just, yeah. just throwing it, throwing yeah. it back to each other. But for us to yeah. actually sit like this and have a conversation with, um, it's great because we're working so fast and we work with with the team. We never get a chance to go through the process and chat amongst ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. As relaxed yeah, and, and, as and, and also, you know, coming back to what you were saying, Giles, how, how has it differed? Um, this is the first time I've been able to speak to a DP and say, um, you know, how was it working with a colorist? Because previously yeah. that's, that's been done by one person. And although that person I've been, you know, we've been in, in full conversation with, um, it's, it's a, like I said, it's a different dynamic and, um, and it's a, absolute pleasure to be able to say you know to get andy's feedback on that and speak to dan and i was in contact with dan um just mm-hmm. before delivery in fact dan and i were sort of sweating over the last 24 hours or so um oh we all were we all yeah were. we all were we all were but you were the guys who were actually delivering yeah. it. you were the yeah, ones the, who were actually pressing send the, yeah the <laughs> physical it's like yeah. that physical version and do you yeah. send that on a how does it how does it work then you send that on a hard drive to the distributors to the execs and then um from there do they then just so everyone knows i mean we all understand but it's really nice to sort of explain this yes you're sending it to execs distributors and then what happens so um in terms of sending it to an executive producer that would usually be an online link um so they they, so they've got their own master version of that um which they can share Mm in in however many board meetings to to get us some more money um, and, <laughs> uh, but otherwise, if it needs to go to the, the lab, which is where all the tests are done on the color, the, the picture, the audio, the QC, um, the all QC, that sort of stuff, yeah, of course. So it has to go through yeah. this whole other process once it's out of our hands, and that needs to be done 
you know, usually on a, on a hard drive because the files that we're sending tend to be in the hundreds of gigabytes. Um, They're massive. They yeah. are. They well, are. And, that, they are. Yeah. And, well, let's talk about QC real quick because so what it is for people so they understand. It basically <laughs> means quality control. And then you have to go through another round of insurance to make sure there's nothing in the movie that could be degrading or um, insulting to anyone else or could have someone's name in it. You know, you mentioned David Beckham or something. and You're not allowed to do yes. that. So that's yes. the process that happens next, right? Yes. So, so you know, you'd you'd hope that from the from an early stage, um, a producer might flag up anything uh, defamatory or, or you know, uh, anything that's that's uh, crossing the line on copyright or anything like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, what, what we you know, what you, I've lost my train. Of, I've lost my train of thought. A QC and oh, QC, uh, delivering uh, at the end. Yeah. Um, so yes, of course you you you're handing over to a lab essentially. Um, so there's a technician who will take all of the files, all of the audio files, several stems. So it's usually like a, uh, you know, a 200 gig video file um, and accompanying audio files, which reach up to 100 gig. Um, Mm -hmm. And they will check the picture, Andy, um, for uh, the right color blacks. Yeah. Video levels. Yes, of course. Um, Compression, missing frames. yeah, Yeah. All sorts of things that can cause havoc um and and that might be missed uh, and then the audio is checked for pops cracks uh you know the oh that gunshot was too loud or hang on that's that's seems out of place and you then have to you know explain or correct um and obviously following that there's a there's a whole like you mentioned a whole insurance process um to make sure that you're mm-hmm. you know you're you're not crossing any lines um and that it that itself is a you know, it's quite a lengthy process. It involves solicitors, of course. It involves people who are experienced in media law, um, and and um, it costs. It costs money it as well. Costs, it's not free, and it costs. It does. It's a. It's it's, and it's a got cost. to be part of your budget, right? Yes. You must. Yeah, you must try and. You know, it's it, it's can be an oversight for people because obviously, once you get to a distribution stage, um, before sorry, before you get to a distribution stage, you're not really thinking about these things. Your 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 mind is ticking yeah. with you know creative ideas and the one the wonders of making the film um and, and then you get to the you get to the other end and it's like people saying to you hang on you've got a, a quality street can in the back oh well that's own you know and we had it we had it with our first film we, we had, had it, it was yeah. we shot in and in, in somebody's shed and their dad happened to have a quality street tin you know on the top shelf with screws mm-hmm. and nails and other things in but, usual thing people put in there but we yeah. were pulled but we were pulled up and um you know we had to we had to get around that because uh, obviously you don't want the the chocolate mafia on your case definitely the not <laughs> wants that yeah. they're, they're horrible oh god sticky <laughs> <laughs> so hilarious. yeah it's true so there's so many things you overcome we could go on so long and talking about ins and outs of all that i'll do a separate podcast all about i think post-production workflow um but this is just this whole thing has been amazing it's been really cool to talk to the team again and really go in depth about everything um gee any final advice any bit of advice for someone who's about to who's made a film is about to go through post or something they should know before they start making a film yeah, just be very clear with each other and treat it as you would production. As uh, you know, be as strict as you would, and uh, and you know, good luck. <laughs> amazing, G. Thank you so much for chatting to thank us. It's guys. been a real insight and amazing as well. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Pleasure. Yeah, that was the lovely G.
Thakra uh, or Takra, what do you want to? It's. It, do you know what? It, it's, it's the pronunciation of people's names. To pronounce, yes. Well, I think it's a lot harder than Alderson, but yet in some of the reviews, I've got Anderson. So hey, I'm just saying. You know, I've had it in movies all my life when I was an actor, and you go watch the movie in the cinema, and then it says Anderson. It kills you. Like Andrew Roger, yours name gets spelt wrong all, all the, the time. time. It's misspelt more often than yeah, more often than spelt right. Yeah, it's part of yeah. life. Isn't it? Is it correct on the credits? We just hope so. Are you on the credits? You shouldn't be. I hope not. I think we tried to take you off. Yeah, I tried to take myself off. (laughs) Wow. Right. Uh, This has been so much fun. This has been incredible. For those who've stuck around for this amazing bumper edition of How to Make a Film, Arthur and Merlin Knights have come back. Thank you. So let's have some final thoughts then to wrap up this whole extravaganza. Um, How's the whole experience for you, Andy, as the DP of a movie like this? Now you've made a historical action movie Mm. and one that you're very proud of and uh, uh, I loved working with you on it and I think we did I really enjoyed our time making this as a team and we are very much a team when we make a movie like this. Um, what was your experience of the whole thing? Uh, it was great. I, I, I do another one. I've, I've been on quite a few big sets of, of big historical action movies and other roles. Um, so it was nice to get the chance to do one myself and with a pair of you, that's been an ideal situation, I would say. Yeah. What about some tips for DPs out there to working on something like this what have you learned from this taking forward to your next film that's what I usually ask my guests so I'm asking you that's a good question thank you every project you, you learn something on I definitely learned a lot on this um, the camera team I hadn't worked with before um, and, and for me that's such an important thing you know you're working with these guys all the time um, it reminded me how important it was to because uh, often I'm, I'm, I work with the same people same guys and girls um, in the camera team who are amazing and in this situation everyone was on other projects so I was with a completely new camera team um, but they were amazing um, and it, it reminded me how important it is to um, to trust people and to let them do their work and if they're good people and they're good at their jobs they'll reward you a hundredfold and also how much you can get away with with natural light you know if, you, if you're planning planning your action around the, the uh, available light you can actually get away with a lot. And oh my God, there's some bright candles now that you can get. There's triple wick candles. Oof. They're they really amazing. They're, I mean, I learned yeah. that on Robin Hood, actually, mm. the production designer, Julian Luxton. Um, he said, you know, it's double wick and triple wick. And mm. it just blew my mind. I was yeah, like, so of bright. course. Because the flame is like that, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> it's like 10 candles. And you get to be like, oh yeah, I let the whole thing with candles. I'm very good at my job. And it's like, these candles are really bright, so yeah. Yeah, I think t- uh, anything like that really adds to production value. And moving forward, now we can have triple wick on the next one as well, which I think will be mm. a delight. Um, for me, I've really enjoyed this experience. I've learnt so much. I've taken a lot in. Um, no, I can improve all these things that you sort of you do. You go, okay, well, I did that right. I did that wrong. Next time, I can do that. I can do that. And you can only just every experience make you better and make you a better director, make you a better filmmaker. And there's so much I learned from this and yeah, looking forward to taking that forward into the next movie for sure. And I just hope, like Andy said, I hope everyone is proud of it. And I remember standing up and doing the speech at the very beginning of filming on the first day of principal photography and saying, look, I want everyone to work hard and be so they're proud of the movie. You, you, you've put so much heart and effort into this that you're proud. And I think everyone is, and I really hope so because I know I am, I'm proud of everyone who worked on it. And I, I hope everyone likes it for what it is and goes, okay, cool. 
well done well done um you just never know you never know the reaction do you you're you gonna have know. people uh, like it people dislike it it's it's subjective isn't it it's personal it's just personal taste and um totally is. you know we we've we've obviously tried to deliver something that that we are proud of we we hope audience members enjoy it um for what it is um whether yeah. there's you know any mistakes in there i doubt there is because we had a top-notch team uh, but you know <laughs> there may be things that we haven't spotted because you're in it a bit like i mean there's a car in the background of lord of the rings so phew, things happen totally it happens so no yeah i think it's look it's a movie and we've done it and it's out there and that's a miracle in itself the fact that a movie gets out gets released and here's one now you can watch if i give you one bit of advice it's it's to if someone hires you for a job like as a dp especially or a director go and do the things that you think are right on it if 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 you think it should look a certain way and that's what everyone's agreed and you know then that's how you should shoot it you should never um think oh i should be making it look like this other film or i should be doing this other thing like just trust your own intuitions because those are the that's the real reason you've been um brought on as an artistic advisor is 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 to make those choices so just to to do that and that's something I've only really recently kind of like allowed myself to be. And I, I hope we've done it with this film. It's stylistically quite strong and it wouldn't be if I'd second guess myself, I think. That comes with experience as well, though, doesn't it, Andrew? For sure. Of course. Yeah. And, and there's still a load more mistakes I've got to make. But yeah, I, I think that's something I've learned only fairly recently. Yeah. I think we have to learn from everything we do and get better. That's what we have to do. Um, Look, this has been amazing. Thank you, it's everyone. It's been a journey in itself, hasn't it? This has been a journey. Yeah. This has been a reminiscing journey. You <laughs> normally don't get to do this, do you? You just get to, oh, the movie's out. But the fact that we've got to connect with everyone again, and because we're not having a premiere because of COVID, you know, it's really nice to connect in some way and talk about this in detail and go, oh, God, yeah, that did happen. Oh, God, mm. that happened. And we actually did well. Um because you forget, it's so easy to forget when making a movie. It's been interesting to hear everyone else's perspective on it as well, because obviously you have your own journey and your own experience, but hearing from everyone else has been, yeah. Been fascinating, hasn't it? Yeah. The stuff that you didn't know was going on when we were doing our stuff, sure. and there was so much going on. I loved it. Uh, okay, so you can follow me at Charles Alderson. You can follow the podcast at Filmmakers Pod. Andy, where can people follow you? Teletext page 721. And yeah, yeah, that's still going. You've yeah. got so, a pager, right? CFAX now, is that you've got Ah, you can fax Andy on. <laughs> and also on Instagram at 35mm DOP. Uh, there you go, Lucinda. Where can people follow you? Please follow me on Twitter at Lucinda Rhodes and please follow Picture Perfect on Twitter at, at PicPerf Limited or on Instagram Lucinda R. Thakra and Picture Perfect PicPerf Movies. Uh, and you really should follow the guys, especially at Picture Perfect, because they're constantly casting, they're constantly looking for um, actors and DPs there. But generally, if you're an actor, do get in touch, because they're, they're, if you're on their radar, if you're on Lucinda's radar, it will come to me if she likes you. So yeah, it's really important to do that. You've been amazing for listening this far. I do hope you've learned something. You can go out there and make your indie film. Look to the stars, not down to your feet. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it's your duty to send the elevator back down. You're all amazing. Thanks so much for listening. Join us next Tuesday when we'll be chatting to Dean Fisher, Terry Dwyer and... Michael Elkin as they chat through their amazing movie Break which is getting a 
uh, drive-in movie release, the first kind of premiere of its kind in the UK on July the 22nd. So that's next week. So join us for that. For now, though, go watch Arthur and Merlin, Nights with Camelot. If you don't watch it, just give a nice review anyway. Do you know what I mean? Support. Do what you can. Follow us on Twitter and retweet all our stuff right now. It means the world to us. Andy, thank you. Thank you. Lucinda, thank you. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. I'm now going to go sleep in a corner somewhere. Good night.